everyone, and welcome. This is episode 272 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I am James, joined once again by Paul and Ryan, and there's just a bunch of super cheery stuff to talk about this week. We are chomping at the bit to get this thing started. Uh, not really. It, it's kind of been hell. It's it's the Brewers, man. <laughs> Their PR it continues to 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 be a, a wonder to behold but we'll talk about that mike will be all over that so i'm sure it'll get better soon sure sure yeah the owner's kid will fix everything um <laughs> before we get to that how are you guys doing how have your weekends been uh i forget um <laughs> oh god uh, <laughs> it's president's day weekend uh it's been very exhausting and it hasn't even had the day off yet but well, it's okay we went into the city yesterday and saw play which was uh, it was okay not great Took what'd you kids. say uh so there's there's a kid's book that uh we like a lot called extra yarn uh it's by mac clausen uh, we went and saw an adaptation of it it was a kid's mm-hmm. play and it was it was well done problem with kids books is you kind of need to fill out a lot of plot because you know little it was like a children's mm-hmm. book it's like 20 pages long and mm-hmm. uh their their filler was very mixed it, it was it was it was nice it, it was a creative job trying for it but it didn't quite fit and it messed with a couple of motifs that i wouldn't have messed with personally but the kids enjoyed it and i'm not the target <laughs> audience for it so that's fine <laughs> it's a, also it's pen a strongly worded uh review to uh uh, like your local uh, RTS <laughs> magazine. And, and, and you did and not again, stick to the source material. It was for children, and the children enjoyed it. So they accomplished what they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, there was there was a guy who like did for, for part of the play who did um, animal puppetry and animal sounds, and he was incredible at both of them. So big kudos on that. And uh, so th- also this theater, we've seen a ton of stuff there, and it's always phenomenal. So it's just you know we would have seen kid stuff, and kid stuff's kid stuff. Well. We drove to Mount Pleasant to pick up a, a sofa that the person had initially posted for seven fifty, and by the time we were done with it, they were begging us to come take it at four fifty. So <laughs> right. we okay. then did that, and now we've spent the last like day rearranging our living room and moving everything around, and it, it's kind of nice. It's working, but right before we were going to record, we were resetting the Wi-Fi. And that looked for a moment like that was going to be dodgy, like we weren't getting the Wi-Fi to come back on. So (laughs) there was a a momentary panic about uh, a half hour ago. And then it's all good. Everything is working now, I think, I hope. So, I mean, you can, as long as you can hear me, everything's going good. So, yep. yeah. So that was my weekend. I have like a, a strained left bicep from lifting this uh, sectional. So oh, okay. that, was, that was fun. But, uh, oh, I did, I did have a Rudizio uh, Steakhouse last night. So that was after a day of, of hauling furniture, going and uh, getting the meat sweats. That was, that was nice. <laughs> it was good stuff. All right. So pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, I also, solid. I did. I finished reinventing uh, Cubops, and it broke my brain to do it. So I'm done, oh, man. and I'm glad, but uh, it was hard. So <laughs> Brain's leaking out of your ears at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, since we're all in a great mental state, then let's uh, get right into it. A reminder first, though, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash tailgate. Two bucks a month gets you question priority, both on this podcast and on reporting as eligible. And uh, boy, did people take advantage of that this week uh, with the Corbin Burns news. Five bucks a month gets you that question priority, plus the additional exclusive content, including the minor league extra with Ryan and James Anderson from Rotowire. All right, so uh, Corbin Burns, his his arbitration hearing went poorly. 
to say the least. Uh, so much so that he went into uh, detail about what the hearing uh, entailed. I, I guess more than we normally hear from players, too. He was still pretty pissed off about it when he showed up to camp because it was literally the day before. Or actually, it was Valentine's Day. So he blew Valentine's Day in an arbitration hearing, which uh, is not how anyone wants to spend that day. And uh, apparently heard that he's the reason the Brewers didn't make the playoffs and all this other stuff. And uh, lots of hard feelings there. And of course, uh, you know, Brewers fans predictably melted down about that because it, it's not great when your star pitcher shows up to camp pissed off at the organization and he's only got a couple of years left. And we've had to sit here and listen to uh, stupid trade rumors all winter long that weren't based in reality and it, everything's bad everything's bad right now but hey todd rosiak says uh burns and matt arnold cleared the air whatever that mm, means yes. after those public comments uh but there's still plenty of questions about his future now and i guess let's just jump right into some of these patreon questions because uh you guys paid for it and because it kind of dictates what we wanted to talk about anyway so First off, we have Jason Spitz this week asking, uh, so Burns said that they were close to making a deal, guessing that puts the math at $500,000 apart max, probably less. How did the front office conclude that a hearing would be a better result than swallowing a few more nickels and dimes? So, you know, this is something that we heard leading up to this hearing, too. And, you know, Burns did say, too, like once they kind of got to the hearing point, there, there wasn't really an offer or an attempt to make an offer at least from their perspective you know that could mean the brewers said something but it wasn't mm -hmm. close to a real offer for them but i guess ryan how do we make sense of of this number and going to a hearing in the first place well first off the thing you were talking about it sounded like they made him a two-year offer which is pretty standard for guys where you know that they're not going to uh, to re-up beyond their control years, but you just like you come to an agreement so that you don't have to go through the the nonsense two years in a row, and that was what Prince Fielder did. He signed his last extension or his last deal with the Brewers was a deal to avoid arbitration in 2010, but it covered 10 and 11, so they didn't have to go through it again. So it was it was just that he was going to become a free agent after that. And but what Burns said, the, his quote was that that was what he, what their side deemed to be a poor offer. They did not like that offer when the Brewers came with that. So that's that's what they shot down was this two year idea to like, you know, lock in those two years and, and whatever. And we don't know the terms of any of that, which that is that is the strange thing here, though. OK, so getting into this a little bit more clearly, because um, listener and patron uh, Spencer Michaelis actually did some really good digging on this and was posting about it on Twitter and mentioned here that basically, because remember we laughed when the numbers got submitted that they were offering $10.01 million. Yes. So $10 million, $10,000 was what was... Weirdly specific. Very like, specific, yes. Absurdly very specific. Very specific. But it turns out there is actually a perfect reason for that. And because that is, to the penny, what Shane Bieber got in arbitration last year. That was what was agreed upon, um, and this is what he got last year. 
So Shane Bieber last year was he's essentially a year ahead of Corbin Burns. He has an extra year. So he's in his third year now of arbitration this year. Um, and but last year was in his second, which makes him a perfect comp. So basically, you're looking at two guys who won Cy Young Awards. Um, Shane Bieber won his in uh, the short in 2020 season and Burns won his in 2021. So not the season before, but two seasons before it, each one won a Cy Young. And if you look down at the numbers between the two, uh, the comparables are pretty good. You can see it. So essentially what the Brewers went in doing was going in and saying that uh, Corbin Burns deserves what Shane Bieber got. And if you look at the numbers, that's pretty, it, it's kind of straightforward. We're only one year off and it, it just sort of tracks perfectly that like these two are very good comparables. Uh, Bieber and like whatever Bieber gets in free agency this year, I think will would be a, a good indicator of what the sort of thing you'd look for Burns, assuming that Bieber continues to do well and is healthy. Like that's the caveat there. But yep. yeah, so you kind of see here that this is what they were shooting for was was he was a comp for Shane Bieber and that that's what their their case would have been based on would be making the point that like he comps well to Shane Bieber. Yeah. I think it's probably not any more complicated than that. That's how arbitration works. Arbitration is not based on markets or reality or anything. It's based on previous arbitration. And that's why they have that's why they have the stupid belt and why they do fight so hard over every last dollar. <laughs> you want to explain that, Paul? You want to explain the belt for people that don't know? Uh, Major League Baseball actively colludes on arbitration specifically. They actively collude on many, many, many things, but um, arbitration offers do get circulated around the league, so everybody in every front office is aware of everybody's arbitration situations perfectly, what they plan on offering, um, what they sort of expect to get out of it, and if they win or lose. And so every front office basically is able to have a contest over who does the best in arbitration, who makes the most aggressive submissions, and who wins the most on them. And they have a uh, WWE-style championship belt for the arbitrating team that does the best over their players, um, or at least they did. I guess I shouldn't say that they still do, because I cannot confirm that it still exists. It leaked out there, and it was not very popular. Um, no. But it, it's the no, thing it that happened. So... Mm -hmm. um, teams fights tooth and nail in arbitration for this very reason because um, every extra $10,000 that they lose in arbitration or that they offer too highly compounds over time with the next year's amounts. And yes, this is all stupid and ridiculous. This is all very well below market terms and it mm -hmm. is absolutely petty pinching. But it's it's very it's very much Wall Street bro penny pinching. It is oh, this ten thousand dollars might piss off our Cy Young ace now, but ten years from now it would turn into, uh, you know, well, I'm not going to do that math in my head, but you know, thousand dollars <laughs> or something like that. And that's still not worth caring about, but you get the idea. Um, so that's why they do this, and it, this is not complicated. There's not like a lot of mystery to the arbitration process. But it's you know, the precedent is what was decided in the previous couple of years and how close of a com comparable you are to the people who got those awards. And uh, that's what it comes down to. The Bieber thing makes a lot of sense. In, I mean, it makes a lot of sense as far as this process is concerned. And it's also important to note that Shane Bieber was 
the record setter for the highest amount paid in the arbitration process to a starting pitcher in their second year of arbitration. Very specific. (laughs) And this is, but this is really important to understand because he asked here, so how did the front office conclude that hearing a hearing would be better than swallowing a few more nickels and dimes? They didn't. That's not what happened. What happened here was them basically um, the the idea that that money mattered to them in any sort of substantial way, the seven hundred fifty thousand, is insane. It didn't. What matters no. here is that well, it, what matters is the precedent, right? It matters that they it's are the saying, precedent of the money. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, but there's also the expectation among the teams that you, when you're dealing with like a record high case, when you're when you're talking about holding the line on this stuff, that you, teams are expected to fight this tooth and nail. They're expected to go in like the expectation here is that the Brewers would fight to make sure that this this comp does not get blown up. They would. Yes. Like that's, that's the expectation among the teams, because like you said, this is a legally collusive process. This isn't like illegal collusion, like what happened in the 90s or sorry, the 80s. This is not illegal collusion. This is actually allowed under the system. Yes, it is. And that's screwy, but it's also the reality so that we, we should acknowledge the reality of that yes this is the explanation not the justification right exactly it's so this is it's a it's a screwy system and it's also important to note and i i know we've mentioned this before but like there is a huge reason that this process exists the way it does on the player side and that they demand that their players go this is written in that the players are required to be at these hearings because they want to, their players to go in and have to listen to themselves get badmouthed. Mm-hmm. They want this. And there, it is a perfectly rational, sane reason for it is that then exposes them to the, the cutthroat business side of the game. And it makes them more willing, presumably, in a lot of cases, to go out and fight for top dollar when they yeah. get that chance. It does. And that's likely to be one of the side effects of this particular one that we just saw that yeah it might be a minor thing but if you were maybe thinking getting romantic for the place where you live and thinking you know i can get almost as much money from there as i can from like the yankees or whatever maybe i will just you know buy have them buy up my free agency stay here be secure blah 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 and then you go into this and you see a hometown discount my ass like no like i i I know exactly (laughs) what they think of me and the loyalty that Mm -hmm. they have for me so uh no time to go hit the market and get what i gotta get um yeah exactly how this works which is why you know people were worried about that from that perspective but i don't think i was certainly not expecting there was any chance that corbin burns was going to be here past the 2024 season i've i gave up on that basically when he won the cy young award in 2021 that he was he was on a collision course for free agency just because he was going to command more money than you know they would possibly give him at that point i I, i've sort of viewed that as a foregone conclusion for a while i know not everybody has but that's sort of been my stance on it is i didn't think he was ever going to sign anything in terms of a free agent contract here like that that it just didn't seem possible for quite a while at this point for me anyway all right well on the topic of this particular case uh being an uncomfortable one for the player to sit in on uh adam post asking did the arbitration hearing for corbin burns really blame him for the brewers not making the playoffs i will not to not to defend the brewers here because they do need no defend or they there is no defending i should say uh but 
this is what Corbin Burns came away feeling. We don't know the exact words, but, uh, you know, when you're in an arbitration hearing and you're a lawyer and Paul, apparently a Brewers lawyer who's bad at arguing things, maybe you throw <laughs> out that he was less than great in August or something like that. Yeah, and we'll never know the specifics exactly and how interpretation's working here, but there's no reason to go in that direction. You can rely on your comparables. You can rely on, you can get very scientific. Here, here's the thing about arbitration. Um, it, it it's notably different than a normal trial for lots of reasons. I'm not going to harp on don't go, don't get yourself into arbitration if you can help it. Um, but you're going against a, you're being decided by a judge here. You can be very legalistic here. You don't have to do a lot of these soft arguing to convince a jury of things about like, like ability and crap like that aren't as important in arbitration. So you can do things like, his spin rate and his home run rate and crap like that that's objectively verifiable you don't need to go in you don't even need to approach casting blame for bad outcomes you don't need to do that the only jury you have is the player and um <laughs> there is long-term consequences for um poor jury management with your players if you do hack them off too much and most of the time, it doesn't matter because a lot of arbitration candidates, some will be stars, some are good, but a lot of them are also just guys. And if you hack them off, who cares? Um, but you can't be, you got to be on your best behavior with guys like Burns. And as Ryan said, I, I also agree, he probably wasn't coming back. Um, but it's also just bad form to make it less likely that he'll come back to do your team a disservice by putting them in a bad financial position to make deals with him later whether they whether he was considering it or not uh and so I, I don't know how that attorney got into that line of argument in the first place but there's no reason to go there because that line of argument doesn't do you any favors in convincing an arbitration panel of your case there's no reason to, it's just pissing off a guy it's bad job maybe he got led that way by burns's people maybe that that was part of their game don't know maybe it wasn't even that bad and he's just got michael jordan problem but uh I feel like it was a bad job by that attorney to let it get there in the first place. It's just unnecessarily personal, right? Yeah, like... it is. That is correct. <laughs> and it is important to point out because Burns did say at the end of that little media, that three-minute video clip that everybody has seen, if you're listening to this, you've seen it. Um, he did say that it didn't get personal. He did say that like he didn't take that part of it personally and that like they didn't attack <laughs> his character. Like He, he did... He did say that he at felt the, end the, of the need conference. to bring it up the day after. I feel so, like, like Burns was uh, so uh, everybody's going to have a different interpretation of the video, but I felt like it was a guy who was hacked off trying to say the right things for the to the media, uh, and that if, if we would have had a guy who was a little more, a little less reserved, not that Burns is reserved, but I do feel like he's he's a pro about when he's how he talks. If we would have had a, a little bit more outgoing guy in the situation. I think we maybe would have gotten a little bit more vociferous and specific information on this. And he was trying to be a pro, but I could be wrong. Yeah. A few points of context here. First off, he was really, really, he was very much the, uh, the nuke Lelouch uh, after he talked to crash Davis uh, about the Josh Hader trade afterwards, he played that straight down the line. He was very much got to take him one day at a time. Like that whole thing. He yep. did that very much after that. So that was like to his credit, like he stayed with the safe answers there and all of that. So um, and it's also worth pointing out that the next day, the very next day that this happened, Ryan Helsley, who is also in arbitration with the Cardinals, he gave a, a, a similar 
ish thing, though he didn't, he was obviously not nearly as mad and nobody reacted quite the same way uh, to it. But he was clearly, um, he also had a rough time in arbitration and was like, wow, like they really, you know, like go for blood in these things. So he had the same reaction. Honestly, it's the kind of thing that this happens every once in a while. Um, former host Steve Garshinsky reminded me that Corey Hart had one of these in like 2009, 2010-ish, somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, I remember Josh Hader came out of his going, wow, yeah, they, it's, you know, these things are, are really rough when uh, it happened a few years ago. So this is pretty standard for players to walk out of arbitration hearings going, yikes. This was more on the yikes meter than you generally get. And he was much yes, more specific was. about like his problems, which I do want to touch real quick because I have a pretty good idea what they did here, which was to point out that and it may have been an aside. It may have been a side comment, it, whatever. But I, I have to believe that this is related to them probably pointing out that Corbin Burns' worst month last year in 2022 was August, and that was the same month they fell out of the race. Corbin Burns <laughs> put up a 4.81 ERA in August, and that was the month that... If they did that, they're just morons. There's no reason to do that. I mean, I, it's... And that's the thing is because, well, you were saying before that, like, the jury here is the player, but really the jury is the three-person arbitrator panel, right? No, no, no. They're not, though. They're not. All the... Uh, they shouldn't care about somebody choking in August. The, the arbitrators are going to be much more along the lines of, okay, you've given us your precedence, and here are the numbers that make him like that. It's not going to be like, oh, this guy screwed us in August, especially for like a whole year's salary. Like that, that I think that's a losing argument with an arbitration panel. They're not jurors. They are often ex-judges. They are often lawyer. They're all. They're definitely attorneys who are going to be thinking like attorneys, not like. Uh, not like that. So I disagree with that. I, I don't think there's a reason to go that route with an arbitration panel here. No, no, no. Okay, hold on. Let me let me rephrase that here. All so right. the what I'm trying to get at here is that like the point of this is to convince the arbitrators that your case is better than the other side's case and that your comparable is better. The number you put out there is better. And that's their job is to pick between the two numbers. Yes, that is it. And they, they vote between them, and they either they don't get to split the baby. They don't get to make up their own number. They're either picking the top number or the bottom number. So that's what you're trying to do to convince. And so, yeah, like bringing that part up, because that's, that's the thing that I was wondering about is, like, it feels like you would really build your case very specifically around what the comparable you were trying to get to. So, like, we talked about the Shane Bieber thing. So this yeah. seems like a weird aside to have brought up. It seems like a weird thing to have done, and it certainly is the thing that Corbin Burns latched on to about it. Like this is this is what he came away from the meeting remembering. Um, so obviously, it was not a good idea, and it it's hard to imagine. And I was going to agree with you on this too. It's hard to imagine that that would have won over an arbitrator, right? Like why? That seems weird. Yeah, I don't think there's any reason to go that route. I think it's bordering on irrele irrelevant. Um, everybody struggles for X amount of time during a season. Mm -hmm. I assume people have probably tried to bring up that kind of thing in the past. I can't imagine it works that well, though, because any player can just throw back, okay, well, we got you in the race earlier, and this all evens out over time. Like, why why we even bring that up? It's stupid. Um, yeah, so was it in response to something Burns said, maybe? did I don't that Or not Burns, but Burns' representation. Like, you wonder if that... It's bizarre. It's very strange that that would be broached.
it seems like a mistake to me. It seems yeah. like somebody said something, got on a train of thought that they should not have gotten on. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it's definitely not a good thing. And, and for it to come out of the hearing that way, for that to be the takeaway is, of course, going to be like it, at, at the very least, this shows a disconnect between uh, the understanding of um, of the people handling the arbitration case and the public relations aspect of the game like that's just a stupid own goal to score where you're giving somebody a, a reason to get angry at you yeah it is they did bad they should yeah. give the belt back <laughs> <laughs> i want to know if it's like the world title belt or like the million dollar man's like million dollar championship with all the dollar signs on it i want to note specifically what the design of the belt is. I will Google for it every once in a while, but they're they're good about not letting it out. If I can nah. ever find out what it looks like, I will definitely find out what it looks like. All right. Well, moving on more about the ripple effects about this, because even if uh, Corbin Burns and Matt Arnold cleared the error or whatever, uh, there's still plenty of concern about what this means for some other folks who might be in a similar situation soon. So Lucroy's suitcase is asking, how do you see other players on the team reacting to the Burns news? Does it make extensions with Woodruff and Adamus harder? Will others hold the Burns arbitration hearing against the team? Uh, so I can understand this worry, but Paul, I, part of me also feels like every case is kind of its own, right? And everybody kind of takes care of their own business. Uh, I think if they perform, I don't think it'll impact doing extensions. If they offer good money to those guys, they'll take it. Where I think they run into a risk is in setting a precedent and appearing to start to look a little bit cheap and a little bit like they're not interested in investing long term. And I do think it's important they get one of those extensions done, if not both, because mm -hmm. in, in the larger context of, uh, first of all, um, Josh Hader and Corbin Burns were close on the team, is my yep. understanding. And uh, when you have the sort of bad PR and so somewhat bad blood around the Hader move in the clubhouse last year, getting rid of your expensive all world relief pitcher. And then being cheap and weird in arbitration with your best starting pitcher very shortly after, if you don't spend any money, guys are going to start to look at you like you're maybe not a serious organization and that you are maybe turning into the rays of, you know, not only not signing guys to long extensions, but cheaping out on the back end of arbitration. Uh, you then run the risk of not being able to get the Brewers usually are not bringing in big free agents anyway and they still have of course the draft system where they can make people play for them but it's <laughs> nice to be a team that is viewed as friendly with a good clubhouse which they had for quite a long time versus cheap asses with a bad clubhouse because it makes it hard to get some of those marginal free agents to come too so there's some risk here they would do themselves a service to start managing their PR a little bit better than they have been and their clubhouse relations better than they have been. There are some knock-on risks here and they should start addressing them and fixing them. And I don't trust that clearing the air with Burns by Matt Arnold is necessarily getting the job done any more than just putting out a statement that they've talked. Yeah, you really have to hope too that that statement, well, the idea that uh, they, they met and they cleared the air we have to hope that that came from Burns' side and not Arnold's side. <laughs> that that I who yeah. knows? There was no attribution there. There that was not. Right. Think that's the case. So yeah, 
And in other tweets that I, I made this weekend, too, I did point out that if you're ever going to be less than perfectly efficient in a moment, now is the moment to suspend a little bit extra on a player, be a little less than perfectly efficient to just get a PR win and sign uh, Woodruff or Adamas uh, yeah. to an extension right now. Like that is would go a long ways to quelling talk of everything that's happened here. So that would that would probably be a well-advised thing for them to do. Yeah, but like Wall Street bros don't work that way. They work on maximizing efficiency and Paul, like you said, saving every 20,000 that they can, right? Like that doesn't seem like something that this front office would do. <laughs> it uh it doesn't, and I don't think it's their specialty. Um, Forest for the Trees is not their specialty here. No. Um, and it has not been for a little while. It is a good business practice to do that kind of long-term forecasting and to view how things will impact your clubhouse, your business, how your employees get along, and things of that nature. Um, it is not how a lot of baseball teams are run, but it is how some are run. And uh, it's, it's looking to be a problem. They should... Uh, even if they don't spend more, they should throw a, a little bit of money around here and get some deals done. It would help a lot if they actually did that, especially popular guys. Willie Adamas getting being with the team a long time helps a lot. You should get mm -hmm. that guy locked up. Like that's a that's a good one to do. Um, so, uh, but who who knows? They seem very penny pinchy at the moment, and I get I get that financially. There's a lot of money flying around. It's easy to overspend right now. Um, but they're going to look really bad if they don't do anything the rest of the offseason. Well, and you did point out that other teams have done this. We have a history here of owner intercession and doing things, going back to the Jeff Supon signing, which for all the world does appear to have been Mark Antanasio's <laughs> yeah. baby. And we yep. know that both the Garza and Loesch signings were being driven by um, direct contact between uh, Mark Antanasio and Scott Boris. Like those, mm -hmm. those directly came. We, we know that that's been attributed. So if there ever was a time for him to step in and say, hey, look, right, right now we have a popularity problem. We have a perception problem. And this is my money. And you need to spend some of it. <laughs> uh, now would be the time for Mark to do that and to yeah. quell some of this stuff that's going around. Yeah. All right. Uh, one last Burns question, because we've harped on this long enough. Yes, we I have. Think. Oh, my God. Uh, Jay Google asking, uh, with all the Burns drama, he likely moves at the end of the year, right? <laughs> Not the middle of the year. <laughs> Ryan, you've been trying to trade Corbin Burns for like six months now. Uh, what's your thought on that? Uh, well, I mean, this whole winter, I, w I was steadfastly saying, no, they're not moving him. They're not moving him. They're no, they're going for no. another year here. Um, but there's there was going to come a time, and I would have a hard time. I If you really want to see, like, the city burn, metaphorically, like, people get really, really angry in Brewers fandom, uh, go ahead and do what you did with Josh Hader with Corbin Burns this year at the deadline, especially if you're in it. Uh, you you will see people get really, really angry. I just don't think. I think that type of an own goal, they, they literally just had this thing happen last year that played out so poorly. I don't think they can risk that again. So, yes, I think it has to be done at the end of the season. Um, it, part of me, I did wonder, would it make sense to do it now if the relationship truly is damaged and if, like, there's going to be problems, if this is going to cause, like, 
like issues, but hopefully we can take what was said at face value and that this is behind them and Burns is going to be professional. Things will be fine. We're not going to have like clubhouse turmoil over this stuff. Hopefully that's all the case. I just, yeah, I, it would be surprised if they dealt him mid-year if they were in it. And I can't imagine yeah. them falling out of it. So No. Yeah. I, can, I, I can imagine them falling out of it. I absolutely can imagine them falling out of it. Well, no, but how bad would you actually have to be? You would have to be like five, six games out of a wild card spot to do that, right? Yeah, yeah, but it's not impossible at yeah. all. I mean, you'd have to be a few... What uh, if five six uh, games under five hundred? The NL East, yeah, they might they, they could absolutely be five to six games under five hundred very very easily. They're they're not juggernauts. They could have a couple bad breaks and one pitcher injury, and all of a sudden they're terrible. Um, the NL East is full of juggernauts. Uh, if the Cubs happen to get randomly good, that's definitely possible. Um, and what if the Giants have one of their stupid, crazy every other year pieces of crap again? Then you have a bunch of teams ahead of you, and you could very easily be out of it halfway through. That's totally reasonable and, and completely possible but it's on the low end of what the projections would say right now because we're looking at yes, projections yeah. that have them in the mid to high 80s in terms of wins we are that is yeah. correct they're projected to be the best team in the garbagiest division and that makes you a bad team <laughs> kind of by different definition yeah. depends on which one you're looking at but yeah yeah we'll get to the projections in a little bit but yeah i feel like if there was a spot for Mark Adonazio to step in and say, eh, not so much, it's probably a too early trade for Corbin Burns, right? I don't know. Well, mm-hmm. I, that would be the scenario I would say, see if Matt Arnold is like, hey, Mark, we've got a deal for Corbin Burns to send him to Toronto. And, you know, I feel like Mark, at least I would hope so, would be the one that would step in and be like, nah, I don't know, <laughs> man. Uh, and they hold off. But yeah, it... I mean, if if you know that he's not going to be here beyond his his team control, then yeah, this winter is probably the time where those rumors start to ramp up again, and and we'll see what happens there. All right, uh, that'll do it for Corbin Burns. A solid half hour on that, but moving on, the rest of the pitching staff uh, looking a little shaky, at least in the bottom half, because we got news that uh, Aaron Ashby is going to miss at least a couple of months. Craig Council said was shoulder inflammation, and that was described as, I guess, a remnant from last season when he had those shoulder problems at the end of the year. Never great when shoulder problems from last year flare up again in February. (laughs) And of course, he also had that forearm inflammation last year. So given that he missed that time last year with the left shoulder and the forearm inflammation, uh, Ryan, are we worried that he might not just be able to hold up as a starter? Or do you think there's still kind of time to hang on to that hope. There's definitely time to hang on to that hope for the future. I would say that for this season, it's definitely looking a lot less likely unless they just need to try to push him back to the rotation when he does start ramping up uh, in May or whenever this is. And we're not exactly sure when they say miss a couple of months, do they mean from today? Because that would put him back, you know, in mid-April if he misses a couple of months from now. Whereas, or are they talking about missing the first couple of months of the season? Season. Yeah, that that was always somewhat vague because oftentimes they're we always think season. Oftentimes they're actually talking about calendar months from right now because they're in the presence of that person. You know what I mean? Like they are they are currently guys are throwing. So the question 
is kind of open there. Um, but yeah, you, you'd have to think at this point that they would be looking at him as a reliever, which is the direction some people thought it should go anyway, um, at least for this season, and see what happens from that point. So I think it's much more likely we see Aaron Ashby when we see him this season, if we see him this season, fingers crossed, um, out of the bullpen at this point. Yeah, agreed. Shoulders are bad, and mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta manage that as best you can, and that's gonna be the bullpen. So if you can pitch, that's where he's gonna be. I did see some speculation though that you know they weren't gonna be able to push him very hard as a starter anyway, right? So if like one forty. 140 innings was going to be his max then maybe this doesn't put him too far behind the eight ball but like uh you know that that's still going to be hard to push i guess if he's in the rotation so yep i I, i'd be with you on that that yeah just put him in the bullpen i'm kind of team ashby in the bullpen anyway so (laughs) you know i i think he he could really be uh very very good there and you know Josh Hader went there and never looked back and and we might be looking at another case like that. Yeah. Um, I guess other pitching notes too. Jason Alexander also out for a few months with shoulder fatigue, but that's just kind of whatever. Uh, (laughs) I mean, the guy, the guy has a family. Like Like, I mean, yes, it's probably not that impactful for their outcome (laughs) this season and everything, but like, we yeah. all have sore shoulders. Get over it. Jesus. Yeah, like yeah, it's, no, yeah, you know, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I I will say I don't think that brings much hand wringing to the Brewers' depth chart. He's probably should be in the eight to ten range, probably not even there. So, okay. Uh, but the Brewers also signed Justin Wilson to a I guess a one year contract with an option for next year. He's recovering from Tommy John. Likely won't be ready until late summer. Uh, is this an interesting bullpen signing, Paul, or is this just your spaghetti <laughs> against the wall? Well, I mean, it is spaghetti against the wall, but it's interesting spaghetti against the wall, at least. Mm-hmm. It, if you can cheaply bet on effective pitchers coming back from Tommy John surgery with an option to then you know get extra value from them if they actually do come back, well, that's fine. Uh, and uh, I mean, just, just looking at the two things that we have lumped together on the rundown here, would you rather have Jason Alexander, the below out below replacement level pitcher with shoulder fatigue or take a shot on a guy who might be a difference maker come playoff time that's and not that not that they're exclusive of course uh but uh yeah this is it this is a good one it's uh it's a smart idea to do this kind of thing it costs you nothing if he doesn't work out so it's fine hey paul yeah no it's not the same as trevor rosenthal no 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 no, no. i'm going a completely different direction here and it, it okay. was aimed at you specifically well that would do, be aimed at me specifically too but okay do, do you know what justin wilson has oh does he have reverse platoon splits he does oh, oh yeah, no <laughs> uh, all right but that's a good thing when you're a left-handed pitcher i guess it is it is, yeah. it is a pitchers having reverse platoon splits like this is a very good thing and uh uh, props to Jack Stern for pointing this out. I want to attribute because he's the one that pointed this out. He's a good pitcher both directions. He's he's got good numbers both against righties and lefties. They're just a little bit better in his career against righties, and that is because it, it, as Jack said in his thing, he was hoping the Brewers didn't sign a situational lefty because in this day and age, situational lefties are kind of yeah pointless. They are they're, they're not nearly as valuable as they used to be, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, fundamentally, what the platoon split thing tells you is just that you have a full arsenal working for you. From and you know, guys become platoon guys 
because they don't have a full slate of pitches they can throw. They lean on fastball, which uh, platoons develop against, or and they can't throw changeups, which uh, you know are platoon fighters or something like it. You know, sometimes sliders work for that purpose. Some other things do too. Um, but it shows you're a complete pitcher more than it shows you anything else. And it's good to get those guys because they are few and far between. Yeah. And the other thing to note here is that Wilson is will go on the 60-day IL pretty much right away in camp here. Uh, there's a date, I think it's like mid-March, where you can start putting guys on the 60. And that's what will happen immediately at that point. And that will open up a 40-man spot for, you know, potentially one of the uh, people who are not currently on the 40-man who are outfielders who could potentially be part of the team relatively soon in the season. <laughs> So this kind of works out in a lot of ways. I was mentioning on Twitter, I do this all the time in OOTP. I find a guy who I can sign to a below market deal and uh, stash him on my uh, 60 man for like the first four months. And then I have that guy as a uh, a guy coming out of like the break or whatever um, as a reinforcement for my team. It's usually a reliever too. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on, it's our favorite time of the year. Uh, Pakoda's out, so we can mm. talk about it. Uh, of course, the Brewers are projected to win the NL Central, although, as Paul alluded to, that's uh, maybe not as exciting as it sounds on the surface. Uh, there's, some, there's a couple. We'll, t- we'll get to it. There's we'll, some we'll squirrely stuff in the Pakoda's that we should talk about always always and as always Pakota hates the cardinals um so that's part of it too and i i enjoyed that uh prospectus actually had a piece this week noting that Pakota has undershot the cardinals in like each of the last nine full seasons so uh that's weird and fun so the brewers are projected for 87.7 wins while earning a playoff spot in almost 68 percent of their projections the cards are projected for 80 5.9 5.9 wins and a playoff odd playoff odds of just about 54.3 percent uh that win total is the lowest among projected division winners although minnesota cleveland not far behind in the al central and you know a lot of people have noted that the lower projections on the central divisions probably due to the fact that you know they're going to be beating up on the dregs of their division less with the more balanced schedule this year so I guess let's just open it up first. Uh, Paul, what stood out to you league-wide? So nothing huge. I I don't think there was a ton of surprises on teams. Um, I thought everything makes quite a bit of sense here. I expected the NL Central to be kind of bad, and it is, as it should be. Um, And and, um, like Fangraphs actually has, I think, some weirder stuff than Dakota does, but it's just... It is exactly what you think it is, and that's what it should be most of the time. Like Dodgers and Padres are good, and the NL East is loaded, and that's kind of it. So um, I, I don't think it really had any big surprises, and if it undershot your team, your team probably sucks. Yeah, on the on the team league-wide stuff, I guess I did notice that LA being three wins ahead of San Diego was a surprise to me. Uh, really? I, yeah, well, look at what uh LA has lost and the the things that are, have have happened there and the additions that San Diego has made and like how close they would have been last year just by like um like what you would figure based on um the Pythags and everything like I I would not expect the LA and I know that uh, over at Zips they have uh San Diego ahead of LA quite a bit they have LA actually pretty bad over there yeah um, but I, I I still think 
Los Angeles, aside from being just, you know, a big spendy team with lots of star power, even though they've taken some hits on the chin, also has a good farm system. And it's not like they can't backfill mm-hmm. a lot of their problems with super great talent either. And San Diego, I know, like, they've added a lot of talent to their credits. They've spent money um, and they made some of the best signings of the offseason. They do, they've had a problem getting it gelling properly the last couple of years too. That doesn't go into projections, of course, but I'm not surprised to see the Dodgers right there with them or a little ahead of them. And I don't think there's a huge difference between them, but uh, I'm, I mean, the Dodgers are still juggernauts farm system wise and major league roster wise. Yeah. The problem with the Padres is mostly their depth issues. Like they have a wonderful top of the line, like yeah, first 10 to 15 men on their roster. But once you start going past that, it thins out really quick because of all the trades that they've made to bring in so many of that, ta- so much of that talent. They just don't generally leave themselves a lot of depth. It's they had yep. some really wickedly bad lineups, like you know six through nine last year. Even in the runs where they were doing well, it was like, oh, this lineup is very, very good at the top, and then falls off very quick, and that. That might be a problem that sticks around. So that's that's fair. The other thing in the NL, at least, that I noticed, because I didn't look at the AL, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, but the other thing in the NL, New York having a six-game lead, according to Pakoda on Atlanta, that's a really healthy margin. And I just, I, I don't buy that. There's going to be a lot of attrition yeah. with New York. They are an old team. New York is very old. I think they have a lot of depth. They are probably the deepest team in baseball at this point. But I also think that, yeah, there's there's age there. And that's been pointed out to me on Twitter. And so it's fair to say that, like, yeah, there's there's some age issues with New York. So I, I still think I would have the Mets as the favorite. But I don't know if I'd have them by six over Atlanta. That seems like a <laughs> no. lot, right? No. And the Braves have also kind of historically been undershot by Pakoda, too. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. Um, yeah. OK, Pocota I guess those dollar signs there. So Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so I guess focusing in on the Brewers, uh, a lot to go through. Paul, you got your spreadsheets ready. I'm excited. Uh, what <laughs> stood out to you about the Brewers' projections, uh, so, either positive or negative? So first of all, so in the annual, which I also have sitting next to me, they do talk about how, okay, we're done over-projecting Yelich, that we you know he's clearly not the old Yelich, whatever. He still leads the off the position players in projected war. He's still 4.1. And 4.1 that's actually, warp. That blew my mind. Yeah, and in the annual, he was actually 4.4. They knocked him down a little bit um, on revisions. But that's too high. He's not going to be a 4-war player. So, like, r- right away, like, I think Christian Yelich is like a 2.5-war player. Matt, like, gets on base, fine. Is a butcher in the outfield, fine. Um, still runs the base as well. But he's not going to put up four war. He's not going to put up more than Adamas does. That's ridiculous. It's silly. Do you know why they got that, though? If you look uh, at it, it's the DRP, guys. The DRP really likes Yelich compared to what? Yeah, it's the new defensive runs. That's it's what's that. driving it. Yeah. He's getting almost a win above. Uh, yeah, because he's getting 9.1 deserved runs prevented. Yep. So which, in, in, sandwich, the new, in, the, in the new baseball, by the way, it's nine wins. It's nine runs to a win, not 10. So just... Yeah, so that is literally, it's a win. It is literally a win. And just to be be clear about that, like, Christian Yelich has a rag arm. Christian Yelich does, 
look awkward out there at times. Christian Yelich is also still really fast, and left fielders tend not to be <laughs> that. So true, I, I'm not true. shocked that like a, a something that is taking into account range would like him defensively more because he can still run stuff down out there that a lot of left fielders are going to have trouble with just because, you know, they're much bigger and much slower than him. Okay, fine. But it, it, <laughs> if anybody believes he's going to be a four-win player, I mean, good on you. Go place bets somewhere. But, uh, <laughs> like, they're, they're, they're a two-win advantage over the Cardinals and, like, like oh, I don't know about that. Uh, okay, fun fun thing number two is Willie Adamas's top Pakota comp. Um which is everybody's favorite brewer, Bill Hall. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which I, is a, a weird one, I, th- I feel like. But then um, then it's Jorge Polanco. Then it's Jorge Polanco and Derek Jeter. <laughs> Fine, yes. Yeah, but Bill, like, that which, one which, was like, whoa, Derek Jeter, <laughs> what are we doing here? We're knocking Lock him off. defense. That's what we're doing. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and the other thing, if you want to talk about cops, like cops are like the fun, silly part of this. They're but, the like, fun, yes. Both... Christian Yelich, his second comp, and Jesse Winker's first comp are Carl Yastrzemski. That they are. <laughs> so that was like, whoa. Um, and actually, that was the thing that first jumped out to me was they have uh, Jesse Winker projected for a 127 DRC plus here. Um, yeah. So being, you know, close to 30% better than league average with the bat and by far the best batter on the team. Uh, Yelich is only 115 DRC plus, so 15% better than league average. So Winker considerably better than that. And actually showing up with, like they have him listed as just barely below average uh, DRP wise at Uh, 0.06. So so basically even money there, but I don't think he's going to play much in in the outfield. I think he's primarily going to be a a DH. So, but that one really jumped out to me where I was like, Oh, they think he's going to be pretty good. And I mean, a 252, 365, 422 line isn't going to get anybody excited, but it's pretty clear based on looking at what these numbers are. They're expecting the run environment from last year to carry over to this year. So they're expecting it to be a down offensive environment. And I don't know that I would necessarily make that bet, but that's where they are. So you kind of have to standardize against it and go, even though that line doesn't look outstanding from Winker, it's 27% better than the league average. So that get would ex- that get, would be good. Get excited, everybody. Your best offensive player, Jesse Winker. That's exactly <laughs> what you want. <laughs> I mean, the lineup looks a lot better if Does it's it? Jesse Winker from Cincinnati days as opposed to Jesse Winker from last year. Okay, but fine. Inversely, uh, Pakoda loves Jesse Winker, but hates the hell out of William Contreras. Does Oof. hate William Contreras pretty well. Um, we've seen a lot of uh, a lot of write-ups on that from various prospectus people, and the main problem seems to be that while he consistently crushes the baseball, he doesn't always crush it at the proper angle. He hits a lot of ground balls, uh, and it sounds they, familiar. It does, yeah. doesn't it? If you don't project that to change, then his offense values tamp down quite a bit, and he's not a uh, well, well, Jonathan was a, I think, a fan of his skills and that he was not as big a butcher as he was portrayed as a catcher. That the Brewers haven't turned him into a good defensive catcher yet, and mm. so it's not like he's going to be projected to be some kind of phenom behind the plate. Uh, combine the two of those, and you're going to get, you know, a project who does not necessarily project well, and that's what you got so far. But they aren't projecting him to be bad. They're projecting him to only be three runs below average, so not even like you know, one win that way. They're projecting him to hit like absolute offensive, crap. 
Yep, offensive profile is not. Um, Pakoda is not a fan, and yeah, I mean, a lot of that DRC plus. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking 224, 306, 369. I think you guys are maybe looking at a more up-to-date version than I am, or maybe I, I'm looking I at a more up-to-date. I just pulled this off of Prospectus now, but it uh, oh. was last updated on the 16th. So, so. Okay, yeah, I, I'm looking at one from, like, the day that it came out. So mine's yeah. a little bit different than yours. But, yeah, I mean, that if that is what he is offensively, that's going to be a huge disappointment. Yeah. Like, but. You know, the thing about it, too, was they only have him projected for 116 strikeouts. And, like, I would have figured if you're giving him 415 plate appearances and he's supposed to be that bad, I would have expected them to be projecting closer to 140, 150 strikeouts or something. Like, he would, for it to drag down his offense that much, I would figure he'd have to really be striking out. And so 116, while not good, especially at 415 plate appearances... I, that one that surprised me a little bit because I instantly my first thought was well they must be thinking the strikeout rate when really it, what's nope. more is it's the ground ball rate and it's that the is the ground ball rate. Yeah. But people have said that like he isn't as this is not like as bad an issue as it is with like Christian Yelich like the the issue is not as hopefully not. There. So, His top comp by the I'm, way is Javi Lopez, which is a fine one to have. I mm-hmm. love Javi Lopez. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, I should mention too, Mark Podscarby had a Patreon question about William Contreras, uh, noting the Craig Goldstein piece, saying it sounded very similar to Christian Yelich when he hits yep. the ball and the air goes very far, but when he hits or he hits a ton of ground balls, is he just Yelich 2.0? You guys say, eh, not really. Different profiles, right? Yep. I, I'm yes, but not yes, not but that different. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's here's the thing. It's not a it's a problem a lot of people have. Like mm-hmm. changing a swing plane is not easy. It's not as simple as going into the cage ten thousand times and and just swinging up a little bit more. It, swings are very highly developed things, and every time you mess around with one, it, it, you're messing around with something that's been finely tuned to play at the major league level this is not hard so yeah it's kind of similar and there's no guarantees here we know how to coach swings a little bit but you know Yelich is still hitting the ball on the ground a lot and sometimes it doesn't come around so there's risk here that's why he was available but there's upside too and his his exit velocity is very very good it's just got to get it up a little bit (laughs) yep right I think that's all very uh yep yeah I guess anything else on the offensive side before we take a look at the pitchers. So really quick, I think there are some some comps worth mentioning, especially both former Brewers and excellent people to be comped to. Uh, Rowdy Tellez has Josh Bell as his top comp and nice. Carlos Pena as his next comp, which is also very good. Um, and I lost that for a second. Um, he also has Eric Hosmer, which is not as good. Um, Luis Urias has Aramis Ramirez on his, which Woo! strikes me as... Okay. They play the same position, but that's kind of as far as I would go with that. <laughs> but that's just me. And Tyrone Taylor, kind of fun, has Yaziel Puig on his, um, which is good for hitting and not for being a human. Um, and Randall Grychuk, who's not great, but not terrible. kind of Also kind of a fun one. Um, we mentioned Javi Lopez, so whatever, that's fine. Um, the only other one I had on here was for Keston. And uh, Keston has a fun top comp now. If you're looking for reasons to be optimistic about Keston, mm-hmm. his top Dakota comp is now Jorge Soler, which actually Ooh. seems about right, where <laughs> you, you miss the ball a lot, 
when you hit the ball, it goes extremely far, and there's not really anything in between, and you can't really play in the field at all. That's actually a really good comp for him. They did a nice job there. And Solaire does have a 38 home run season to his credit. So, like, if everything kind of tracked and went perfectly well for him in a season, you could kind of see that happening. I know that he was one of the guys that they were projecting upwards they, they did an article where it was like the eight hitters who are trending upwards and he was the second guy listed in that article so that kind of like blew my mind that he was uh he was getting because for so long Pakota has been I mean going back to 2020 like Pakota really 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 has been skeptical of uh of Keston Hira and right. now all of a yes. sudden it's like yes. they're more positive on him than they are on most it's players. A, it's not a great projection. He still projects for 0.4 war, but in not that many plate appearances and mm-hmm. not completely hopeless. Now, the two things before we move on to pitching I do want to talk about. One of which is um, the Cardinals are obviously the team projected to be right there with the Brewers. And on offense, they're starkly different. The Cardinals have, I think, seven guys projected with over two uh, warp. Uh, the Brewers have three guys projected with <laughs> over two warp, one of which is Yelich. <laughs> and, uh, um that's a stark difference, but 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 we, we must leave on the highest note for the Brewers, which is the top number one Pakota comp for Jackson Churio. Uh, his number one Pakota comp is Mike Trout. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that is a good one to have. And Jackson Churio was better as an 18-year-old at Low A last year than Mike Trout was in what would it have been 2009 when he was in, in low a, like as an 18 year old. So Churio was a better hitter by comparison. It's just that Churio then got uh, rushed along very quickly uh, in a way that trout, they were slightly more cautious with just a little bit more cautious. They didn't rush him to double a that year. Before we move on to the pitchers, Ryan, you undersold Jorge Soler because he is, in fact, the Kansas City Royals single season home run record holder. He hit 48 with the super bouncy ball in 2019. Oh, wow. Okay. With 33 doubles. (laughs) So 48 home runs and 33 doubles that year. Uh, That's about half of his hits because he struck out 178 times that year, too. So uh, mm-hmm. fantastic so, year for whole like, like Jorge Soler. Yes. One thing I like about the pitching side, by the way, we'll get to in a second is uh, so two of our top three hitters had Carly Stremsky is as Pakota comps and two of our top three pitchers also share a Pakota comp. So that's fun, too. OK, well, let's move there. And uh, who are they and what do they got? Uh, so Brendan Woodruff and Freddie Peralta both have the same top Pakota comp, which is Steven Strasburg. Oh, Okay, well, that can be good or bad, I guess, depending mm-hmm. yep. on how and you I, look at it. I actually think that is the correct way to look at it because Brendan Woodruff's others are Adam Wainwright and Justin Verlander. Sure. Those are good. They're actually much better than Corbin Burns's are. Whereas Freddie's are Lance McCullers and Chris Archer. Good, but not mm-hmm. as good. <laughs> Lance it? McCullers, senior or junior? Junior. Okay. <laughs> good question. <laughs> okay. Uh, I guess otherwise, uh, pitching overall, you know, obviously Burns and Woodruff, great. But uh, any depth concerns here looking at the warps or how do you feel overall? Uh, Warp doesn't look is not as useful for pitchers just because relief pitchers, it's like they're so high variance and so little small Mm -hmm. sample size. It's all like if you get half a win out of any given reliever, that's fine. Um, I would say the biggest if you got a cause for concern here at all, 
Um, it, actually, you know what? It fixed it. Ah, that's good. Updated versus Devin Williams had a very bad original Pakoda projection in the annual. Um, I, I believe he was 0.4. I've got both here. And uh, now he's 1.2. So mm-hmm. ready for that. So I think they, that must have been a typo or something. Yay for that. Yeah, their pitching's still good. It's projected. They have uh, one, two, three, four, five, six guys projected for over one war, which is really good, especially when you have Burns and Woodruff at the top getting um, well above three each. Um, and, and Freddie doing, you know, a good job, too. They like Aaron Ashby pretty well um, as well, which, you know, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and the bullpen, there's a ton of guys here that all have, you know, good to great projections as well, uh, with Williams being a, a very hater-like anchor there. So it, it all looks good on the pitching front. No huge surprises. Jason Alexander sucks. It looks pretty accurate. <laughs> Ride your thoughts. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I think that uh, if you look there, they are projecting the bullpen to have a lot of guys who are competent to good. And that's what you want when you've got kind of an unsettled situation. So I liked seeing that, you know, guys like Strzelecki were being projected for yeah, a 382 ERA, um, you know, Miller's down in the threes, Matt Bush is down in the three. Both are actually 337, both with whips under 1.2. So they they seem to like the depth that the Brewers have in their bullpen well enough. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think those were the the main takeaways for me um, that they just seem to have a lot of guys who are they view as competent and can can do the job. And that's important to have when you're you're looking at pitching depth. I thought the the high end of uh, Burns and Woodruff was maybe a touch lower than I was expecting, you know, or a touch worse than I was expecting. But there has actually been some people, some projecting this year that like Woodruff might surpass Burns this year. That there's some reason to think that that might actually be the case. So that uh, certainly wouldn't shock me. Though they do have what. They have Burns projected for about eh, um, 0.3 less. He's at 2.42, and uh, Woodruff's at 2.74 for ERA. So yeah, both yeah, two, good. Two, that's that's uh, straightened out a little bit with the update. It's 2.49 for Burns now, and, and Woodruff at 2.78. So Wood, okay. Burns pretty significantly better. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. Um, but yeah, it, it is what we've we've sort of come to to deal with with the brewers here is you're counting on the pitching staff a lot and that's always a tricky place i remember uh when we first were looking at this when we uh the three of us were were podcasting and doing this podcast for the first time in 2020 we were talking about this because judge had made the comment about this that like we were all shocked at how well the brewers were projected because of the pitching and he's like yeah Pakota really loves their pitching and thinks that it's it's uh, due to break out. And that's exactly what happened in 2020. Yep. I think people forget 2019, 2000 and, or sorry, 2018, 2019. There were some good pitching performances in there, but they were really being led by their offense at that point. Uh, it was 2020 that this really became, you know, a, sort of a pitching staff first team. And uh, Pakota nailed that exactly. So it did cross our fingers and hope. And uh, as far as as far as interesting things, uh, not not as many as on the offensive side, uh, but Eric Lauer, you got a couple interesting ones with uh, comps to Homer Bailey and uh, Jose Quintana. Uh, Quintana okay. one especially fun. That's worth yeah. paying attention to. And you know Homer Bailey, 
um, didn't have the greatest career, but he was once the, I think, top prospect in baseball. Certainly he the was. top pitching yep. prospect in he baseball. He was. Yep. Um, so getting a comp on him is pretty good when you're a young pitcher, especially. Um, uh, Matt Albers is a Matt Bush comp, which is not great. But <laughs> we, all, we all know and love Matt Albers. And he, he also has a season. He also has Fernando Rodney and uh, Steve Ciszek, which is not too bad. That's okay. Uh, we've got a Jeff Samarja on Adrian Hauser, although he's huh. not projected to be very good. Um, but my favorite is actually Wade Miley, who gets a Mark Burley and a Kyle Loesch. And uh, I love Mark <laughs> Burley. And I, nice. would love, I would love it if he turned into Mark, Mark Burley. And last but not least, um, oh, who had that one? I'm sorry. Spreadsheets are hard to read live. Somebody... He's got an Axford. There it is. Uh, Jake Cousins has a John Axford cop on him. Okay. <laughs> good well, that, John Axford or bad John Axford? That's a good question. Um, I think good because he also has an Al Albuquerque comp, and that's a good comp to have is my understanding. Mm-hmm. There's two of them flying around. Devin Williams also has an Al Albuquerque comp. Ooh, I love that too. Yeah, I mean, nice. we did get two good years out of Axford before. In 2010 and 2011, he was very good yeah. before it all kind of fell apart in 2012. So, yep. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, John Axford, Team Canada, by the way, in the World Baseball Classic. So he made it back for that. Good so for him. That that's nice to see. Yeah. Oh, oh I had All right. one really, really quick, just just a curiosity one. It's from a guy I don't even know anything about. Maybe Ryan does. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, we have a named um, Russell Smith somewhere in mm-hmm. the system. Uh, his top Pakota comp is Wai Chung Wang. So. Um... Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Just probably not ready. For probably the not ready for the majors. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Russell Smith was their third pick in 2021, I believe. That sounds right. Okay. 2021. Yeah, he was drafted in 21. So right, okay. he was a top 100 pick, and I was real excited because when you take a college lefty who has really good spin rates, and people were really salivating over that. Uh, and you put him on the Brewers, you go, oh, this could really be fun and exciting. And so far, hasn't been. But who knows? (laughs) All right. Well, speaking of not fun and exciting, let's move on to our next topic. Uh, The future of Craig Council. Uh, Ryan's kind of been dreading this uh, ever since the last news of the last week came out. Uh, We were previously very optimistic mm-hmm. that Craig Council was going to end up getting a contract extension, possibly even before spring training. Uh, it doesn't sound like that's going to be the case. So we've got a Patreon question here from Jeffrey Emenecker uh, asking here, the comments from Council seemed very ominous. Just waiting a while and seeing how the year plays out, in my mind, the odds of him leaving after this year just went up a lot. Disagree or disagree? Uh, before we get to that, we've got the comments here. So via Todd Rosiak, uh, Matt Arnold said, look, let it, let it play itself out, uh, which is always great when a GM says those <laughs> words, uh, quote, we'll have a conversation toward the end of the season about the year, how it played out. So it's not going to be something we forget about. It's certainly on the radar. Um, council also offered what Todd described as a begrudging answer <laughs> when asked to discuss his thoughts saying, quote, I'm content with where we're at. We'll see what happens moving forward. And I have had conversations with Mark Adanasio about this. Mark and I have worked together for a long time. You know, I value that relationship a lot. I'm open to everything. I want to continue to be open to everything. And this is the best way to do that. Um, Obviously, 
the emphasis on that relationship, my <laughs> own, maybe not Craig's, but that's the way I read that. Uh, mm-hmm. Ryan, you're panicking. Your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, if we were talking about this last week, I would have given you like 95 to 5 odds that he'd be coming back. Like, yeah, overwhelmingly uh, the chance. And that's moved significantly. I'd put it at 25 yeah, like 75% he comes back to 25 not, and that's probably overshooting it at this point. I definitely am more nervous about this now. It's hard to read this and not see it as there being some disagreement here and some Craig Council wanting to see some things uh, is the way I read this, is that he wants to see how this year goes and how things play out and where they stand, and that those comments about him and Mark having a good relationship seem pointed and seem uh, potentially, like uh, Jeffrey said, ominous. So I'm much less confident. I still think there's it's more likely that he comes back than he does it for all the reasons that we've discussed in the past. But I'm definitely opening up now to the idea that it is not a foregone conclusion, which is where I was before. Yep. Um, I was obviously much less confident last week when we discussed this because there were a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of change in the front office. And um, when you have big changes in that way, you know a lot less than you think you do about um, how comfortable the other employees are remaining there. Uh, I actually think I would, I would take take this to the extreme of I'd kind of bet on him not being back at this point. Like If he was going to be back, I think they would be negotiating a, an extension. And if you get in a situation after this, there's so much you can go wrong. Like if they suck, if they make moves he doesn't like, then he can just. He could just move on, and even if they kind of play well, uh, he just might be, you know, up for going to work for his old boss or going to look at new opportunities or just get paid. Um, he's been with the Brewer system a long time, and sometimes you just like to do new things. So I think there's a lot of outs for him, and I'll I'll bet this is it. I'll bet um, he does explore those options, and I'm now way 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 less um, confident that he will be back than I was last week, which was already not that confident. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of, I don't want to say weird, but it's weird. Unexpected <laughs> because we read the quote last week, right? Like mm-hmm. he seems super excited and jazzed about the season and uh, looking forward to this group. And then a week later, I don't know, maybe there was a talk or something that didn't go well. Or, uh, you know, my feeling is maybe he just wants to see how things are under Matt Arnold as opposed to David Stearns, how much control he actually has to make some of these decisions whether it's lineups or or whatever but it it just seems kind of odd that this is the tone shift in the last week so Mm -hmm. i i don't know i guess i'm feeling a little less optimistic too and yeah i guess i couldn't blame him if he wants to go and look at options otherwhere or other places but like man this seems to kind of be taking a quick turn yeah i did not expect this yeah I don't think anybody did. Maybe he got stuck in a meeting with Mike for too long. Who knows? But uh, it's you know it's it is kind of an uncertain season, and um, he probably does want to assess his new GM as much as anything. Like, right? This is this is new. Things go poorly sometimes when you trade, cha- you know, change things in the front office, and maybe some things have been rubbing him the wrong way already. We'll we'll see. Assess or exercise some leverage over. Also, that you can do that. Like that certainly 
yeah, it, you wonder. It, this opens up that possibility. If, if he is hanging that out there and that I'm not willing to come back if certain things go ways I don't like in this season, that certainly seems like there's some sort of a threat there saying he yeah. he wants to exercise some control. And that is not a good position. That is not a good place to be in as an organization. You do not want power struggles between your manager and your general manager over who gets to make decisions. That is Absolutely that is one of not. the worst ways to have an organization run. You that is like an untenable situation. So if that is actually what's happening, we have we this is all speculation. But if yep. that we is, don't know, Jack. Right. But if that is like where this is headed, that is a problem and needs to be like you have to pick a lane and go with it. Yeah. I mean, we saw it play out in St. Louis too, right? Like Mike Schilt was basically given the boot because there was that uh, mm-hmm. issue there with the front office too. Yep. So uh, it's well, and we uncommon. saw for a long time how bad it could be for an organization when you hand over all the control to the manager and he essentially gets to like, uh, like exercise veto power or do things and and like boss around the front office with uh, Mike Sosha in L.A. That went very poorly for a long time because that front office, besides having their hands tied by Artie Moreno, they were also having their hands tied by Mike Sosha. So they really didn't have a lot of things they could do. They were always being limited either from one direction or the other. So you, you can't have that. So you got to get this sorted out. All right, how about another cheery topic? The possibility of the Brewers <laughs> leaving Milwaukee. We're just hitting all the, the good spots this week. Uh, man, this is a week from hell. Uh, Andrew S. asking, with some rumors swirling around the topic, how likely do you actually think the Brewers' move out of Milwaukee would be? I should note that I do think a lot of the actual rumors I was seeing was just typical doom and gloom on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is rooted from... Uh, the governor of Wisconsin's latest budget proposal offering the Brewers $290 million to help renovate American Family Field with the caveat that they extend their lease uh, significantly, keep them in town another, what, 10 or 20 years. Um, And this caused people to ask the question, wait, was there a threat that they would leave or are they just uh, throwing this in there? And I think a lot of that is kind of conjecture. Our friend J.R. Radcliffe did an excellent article on uh, why it's unlikely to leave. But I guess, Paul, doom and gloom on Twitter, not really reality, right? Not reality. Not at all. And uh, if even if we got to the situation, they still have, I think, eight years left on their lease to start things mm-hmm. off and can't leave before then, no matter what happens. Uh, but aside from all that, uh, first of all, it's important to understand the politics here, which is, that Wisconsin is a ridiculous state uh, in terms of how its politics operates. Constitutionally, the governor of Wisconsin is the one who drafts the budget, and then the legislature votes on it. The legislature is, of course, gerrymandered to be controlled by Republicans with a near supermajority, and they immediately throw out the entire budget. So the entire point of the budget in the first place becomes not real policy proposals, but things you can hold over the Republicans to run against them on in the future. Um, the brewer keeping sports people in town is pretty popular. And so you can frame the Republicans as um, being the ones who are trying to mess with the baseball team, which is what this is mostly about. It's also, uh, they will probably have to pay the brewers some money at some point. 
and it's framing it for the future and uh, framing the amounts and who's going to be in for it and who's going to be against it uh, and getting that all set for future debates and maybe future Republican governors and who knows what. But um, it's, a, it's a table setter. It's a political tool. It's not real. And uh, aside from all of that, uh, first of all, go read JR's article. Which mm-hmm. he, he talked to JC Bradbury. He talked about how people are, by and large, conditioned to immediately jump to, oh, they might leave town. Um, as soon as any stadium finances come up in any given city in America. And it's often just not the case. And with baseball in particular, there are markets they would like to expand into. Um, But there are teams ahead of the Brewers in the pecking order who may want to move and are more likely to move. Baseball has also openly talked about expansion and Mm -hmm. adding teams. And so there's not, at the moment, a place that the Brewers would go that would not be filled by somebody else. The leverage that you normally have with moving a team isn't actually there at the moment, at least in any plausible way. So we're very far away from this coming to a head in the first place. But there, there's really not, like you could say, well, maybe put them in Nashville. Well, there's the A's out there. There are, uh, the, you know, there's new teams they could bring in. They don't want to get smaller. They don't want to screw over a team that actually draws pretty well. Um, so it's just likely to not happen. Yeah, so there's a couple things here. Uh, this came up. A friend of mine asked me about this on Friday night before I even read the JR article. And my first re- reaction to it was, okay, this is nonsense. And the biggest reason being the low-hanging fruit of relocation is likely to be plucked in the eight years before the Brewers could begin to move like they are in that time period the vegas is almost certain to have a team nashville portland charlotte all those teams are going to be the the best markets the best places the ones that give the best put together the best package to try to lure a team are going to already have their teams by the time the brewers are uh are eligible, which means we're going to be picking from the leftovers or are the brewers would potentially be picking over the leftovers at that point, which means it's probably not the best offers, the best situations that they could move to. So that's number one. Number two, and JR makes this point very explicitly and rightly so, MLB does not want to abandon viable markets. That's like the last thing they want to do. Places where baseball is successful, and baseball has been very successful in Milwaukee for a long time. And MLB does not want to abandon those markets and shrink their base. They would rather find, you know, expand and add into other markets and things like that. They don't want to abandon a place where baseball has been successful like it has been in Milwaukee. That is super important. Baseball would not be happy about the Brewers trying to move. They would not be trying to grease the skids. They would. This would not be a situation where they're happy to see the Brewers go. That a hundred percent would not happen. So, this is just you know one. It's drastically premature, and two, it's just really unlikely. And it is funny. I was looking at the time here on our podcast. Um, if you had told me on Wednesday or was it Tuesday, whenever there's a news broke that this was going to be in the budget, that we would be talking about this an hour and 15 minutes into this podcast, I would have said, oh my God, <laughs> what what happened that Nothing. delayed that? Turns out a lot of crap. Do I have news for you Wednesday, Ryan? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like this seemed like this was destined to lead the show and it's barely getting a mention here at the end. Like this is, it's Throw absolutely the insanity. Yeah, yeah, it's this is insanity, but... 
such is the week of hell from Brewers fans. Like it's hard to imagine much worse of a week than this. And I say that now I'm tempting the baseball gods to really slap us around. It all burns down. All right. Uh, Speaking of hand wringing, Jay Google asking just how great is Brewers Twitter? People want Mark to sell the team, but whoever buys a team for over a billion dollars isn't putting another 200 million into payroll, right? And I believe I I even mentioned this to Jay and he agreed. Uh, So, I mean, that's the other thing, right, Ryan? Like, even if he does sell, like teams are going for a billion. It's going to be a significant investment and uh, they probably just want to make money, right? Yeah, they're probably going to have a lot of debt service to do because that's what tends to happen in these situations. And so, yeah, this idea that, yes, you could get lucky. You could get Steve Cohen or, I guess, uh, is it Peter Seidler in, in San Diego and yep. get an owner who just, like, doesn't care about any of that and they just want to spend their billions before they die to win a World Series. You could get lucky. It is possible. But it's much more likely you end up with Bob fucking nutting. Like, seriously, it is much more likely that you end up in that situation and you are much less happy than where you're at right now. We've we've belabored this a lot, though. Like, this is this is not a new topic for us to, to broach. It is much more likely that you end up in a worse situation than you end up in a better one. Absolutely true. Especially uh, when you have Rob Medford this week uh, talking at the start of spring training about how he's worried about all the money the Padres are spending and they're definitely going to lose money this year and Mm -hmm. ooh, it's not sustainable and all that crap. So, yeah. Yeah, the next owner that enters the MLB, like owner brotherhood, is going to be much more carefully screened than the PS few have because the Mm -hmm. other owners don't like this. Uh, they don't like to like they are colluding to not spend money uh, to win championships. That is not how most of the owners operate. So the odds are of, of you getting in a, an owner who's better than Mark uh, have gone down significantly based on the last few owners entering being better than Mark. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, that is a, another huge point because I think Seidler bought the team in 2020. Like I and Cohen is just very recent as well. I think it was 2019, 2018. So these are the most recent purchasers, and they've been, you know, that has not worked out great in terms of what MLB wants. It's not worked out great for Artie Moreno, but it, yeah, <laughs> right, right. All right. Last Patreon question this week comes from Ultimate Vehicle Fight Club asking if the MLB started directly handling the broadcasting of games in place of the RSNs. Do you think it would encourage more competition from the teams affected, as some have suggested? Do you feel like that would be an overall good thing for the sport? So continued fallout of the ballet stuff, Paul, I guess. What's your take on that? I don't think it would have a huge effect on on the competition, really. Um, it, it, it's hard to predict if it would be a good thing or not. Um, it, it's... It's tricky because the golden age of this is over. Like with the idea that sports gets bundled into big cable packages that generates a lot of money, that that's on a decline. It's going to continue to be on a decline. There's there is uh, a huge market for live sports because it is a non-streamable. Well, it's not non-streamable anymore, but it's not something you can watch on demand. If you want to see it live, you got to watch it live. Um, and so I think it's a smart move to get their rights back now and start to build on the live streaming um, market that they will eventually need. 
but that's as far as I would go with this. And uh, to, to baseball's credit, you know, they invented BAM. They don't own it anymore. Um, but uh, they, they do a good job with their broadcast when they're forced to do broadcast. They look good. They tend to have good production values. They'll be better than Bally's probably. Um, but uh, it's going to be, I think, just a, a little blip of one area of consolidation going back to a different area of consolidation as baseball starts to claw these back uh, to to sort of work on the new streaming business model that they're going to need to have this be viable. Yeah, the way I've heard this discussed, I think what he's getting at here um, is the idea that if it's tied to your ratings, how much money you get, that those teams would start to compete trying to get higher ratings, trying to bring in more viewers. And I really strongly doubt that MLB would do that because that encourages them to start, you know, doing things like spending a lot of money to try to, to win in the short term. And that is not something MLB wants to encourage their owners. They really really do. Yeah. They really do collude well. So probably not going to do that. Yeah. And I just think that, also, there are actually good reasons to not want that, too, because if you get teams that get too focused on this quarter, th- this is a problem in a lot of corporations where if you get so focused on what's happening right now, you start to lose sight of long, good long-term planning. And there are lots of businesses that fall into the trap of all we care about is like this quarter's ratings or this quarter quarter's earnings or whatever. And they start to completely lose track of what the, you know, the, the long-term vision is. And that is also bad for a baseball team. Like in baseball yeah. is a game that is very much built around you taking a long time to, you know, draft, develop and sign players and all of that. Like this is a, a process that takes more time. Like football rosters can overturn relatively quickly and you can sort of turn things around pretty fast and in football not so in baseball it's it really is a much harder ship to turn around when you've really been really bad for a long time it can it can be a real slow process so there's just lots of reasons why this wouldn't be a good thing for them to allow to happen um well uh, there are some good reasons for it and some bad reasons for it but all of those are reasons that mlb wouldn't want it to happen so it seems unlikely to happen for sure and we'll see maybe some resolution on, on on this hopefully in the next month or two uh as we see that case unfold uh that'll do it for questions this week thank you to everybody who sent one in a reminder patrons get question priority just go to patreon.com slash mke tailgate two bucks a month is all it takes to make sure your question gets answered here on the show as well as over on the reporting as eligible side and before we go this week uh we'd like to re- remind you to leave a review and a rating for this podcast over on apple podcast reminder as always paul will read literally anything you write in the review if you give us five stars and while you're there please do hit that subscribe button on apple Podcasts, spotify pocket Casts, wherever else you get your podcasts and oh hey look for us on youtube too i'm gonna try messing around on youtube so uh, <laughs> we'll send some links out on that as well just some snippets of every week's episode if you can't listen to the whole thing um and yeah that'll pretty much do it for this week uh, and hopefully uh, things are a little bit cheerier in the next week because, man, this was a doozy. We mm-hmm. went through some uh, heavy stuff this yep. week. So <laughs> um, hopefully uh, things turn around for the Brewers, at least PR-wise. I think they need to start playing some games because, like, 
man, we need something else to talk about on field to worry about all the off off field stuff is, is not very fun. So, mm-hmm. uh, we're getting ever closer to that point. Uh, in the meantime, we will be back here next time on Milwaukee's tailgate. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hell of a way to start season seven. Whew.